Who knows where he is? Said he would be here. Could be dead. Are we about to be a true crime podcast again? I think so. We're going to be... Okay, we're going to have to note the, the text. The text of saying, give me 10 minutes, was at 2.28. It is now 2.56. No Bradley. 28 minutes. What happened in those 28 minutes? This is that story. <laughs> CSI Hacker Hall. Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. For now, it's just Dr. Joe and Emily. We thought Bradley was going to be here. We got a text saying he would be here in 10 minutes. It's now been nearly a half hour, and we may have a true crime podcast going. Except here comes Bradley. He made it. Oh, God. Oh, dear oh, Lord. Dear That's God. so loud. Bradley, you're loud, and there's lots of echo. Are you still there? Did Bradley just not leave the camera on you, even though we were supposed to talk to you? Yeah, get over here, Anna. Come on. On camera. There you are. Don't worry. We we don't record the video. Only the audio gets recorded, okay? Well, we need to ask the question. Well, well tell us who you are first. Let's go there. I'm Anna Hines, I guess. Uh, Brad is my dad. All right. Uh, we're sorry for that. The daughter of Dr. Bradley J. Hines is joining us for our super secret questions. Okay. Super secret questions. What is your favorite beef breed um i don't even know like charlay ah charlay all right so a, a different answer than your dad we won't tell him what you said we don't want him to be mad so anna we ask all of our guests that come on the podcast these questions and then we keep a tally of everybody's answers so so you will officially be marked in history with with your votes okay here comes the totals Black Angus at 16, Hereford at 10, which is the right answer according to Bradley. Black Baldy at 5, Scottish Highlander at 4, Charlay now at 4, Red Angus at 3, Shorthorn at 3, Belted Galloway at 2, Brahmin at 2, and now all with 1. Stabilizer Galwikini in a Simiton, Alori, Jersey, Normandy, Belgian Blue, Brangus, Piedmontese, White Park, and Miniature Scottish Highlander. All right. What is your favorite dairy breed? Jersey, for Good. sure. Thank you. Yeah, Good work. I knew that was coming. That is the right answer. And uh, your dad would have been incredibly, incredibly <laughs> mad if you didn't say that. He would have kicked you out of the house if you didn't say Jersey. I'm Most pretty likely. sure. Holstein's at 23, unfortunately. Jersey's at 18. Brown Swiss at 10. Montbilliard at 3. Dutch Belted at 3. Guernsey's at 3 with a special shout out to Taffy. Normandy at 2. Milking Shorthorn at 1. And Ayrshire at 1. All right. We've established Bradley's daughter is cooler than Bradley. I think that's a wrap on this episode. So, Anna, why why do you like jerseys the best? We've basically had, or at least me, I've had jerseys like in my life pretty much since I was born. And I've grown up with them. I think they're better than Holsteins because every time we've had like Holsteins at our county fair, they've always misbehaved and just are not as nice as jerseys. So... I totally agree. Because now you show jerseys in 4-H, right? Yeah. So what's your favorite part about showing jerseys in 4-H? Probably just like getting to know the cow. You know, like you grow mm -hmm. a special bond with them. My cow right now, she's the sweetest thing ever. And we have just a really strong bond that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, jerseys are definitely more like puppy dogs than some of the other ones. So 
I can see why you like them. It's because they're better. That's why she likes them. Oh, sure. Yes. We're on the same page. Better than Holstein's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. To each their own. I'm I'm not going to sit here and argue with Brad's daughter. Because <laughs> I imagine she argues just like Brad. People have said I definitely act like him a lot. Like I was attitude and stuff. So you can kind of see it, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yes, we can. I remember when... I think he would wake you up this way too, but he would wake your brothers up by playing like rock music in the morning and just coming into your room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There he is with his microphone, professional podcaster. Yeah. Sorry I'm late. It's been one of those days. Just trying to keep my head above water, uh, feeling better. uh, And yeah, two days, uh, two days free from. Uh, well, this is my second day of no antibiotics, so doing better. And you can probably see, this is what 16 less pounds looks like. You are gaunt. I lost 16 pounds. Wow. That in what, just a matter of a few months, yeah? One month. Oh wow. God, that's really. not, that's a little too fast. That's what uh, just eating a bunch of quick trip toast does to you. I said the doxycycline was pretty harsh on me, even though I was on probiotics. It's bad. My complexion kind of cleared up. It's nice. It, it you know, yeah. doxycycline clears that up too. <laughs> Your skin yeah. is glowing. You got that glowing. antibiotic glow, Bradley. The antibiotic glow. The antibiotic. Why is your daughter in tow? What, why did you subject her to that? Uh, I taught a class this morning, a sustainable egg class. I lectured in a sustainable egg class in uh, agronomy department. And so there's no classes, no, no school in Morris, uh, Today and tomorrow, it's parent-teacher conferences. So right. she wanted to come learn all about organic dairy. And she learned all about uh, growing poultry on pasture, too, from the other speaker and all the fun stuff. And about eating insects, too. Yeah. Yeah. So she had a great day learning about nonsense. And then, and then we have a campus visit tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so the rest of them are coming this evening. Because my son is running around with Paul from H&H Vet. Severson. Yeah, vaccinating cows and whatever. And uh, Caleb messaged me yesterday morning. He got in the truck and he's like, uh, Paul's wearing a moose room hat. Yeah. Paul's great. He's running around doing vet stuff, shadowing a vet for two days. So finally vaccinated like 300 calves yesterday. And Oh, wow. So it was fun stuff. So he'll be here for a campus visit tomorrow and... Uh, we're going to go to the Mall of America and, I don't know, go to Lululemon and do whatever. Nice. Uh, yeah. Brad's got to get his Lululemon fix in. Exactly. Brad needs his crossbody bag. All right. We were just talking about how we were thinking this might be a true crime podcast because you texted 10 minutes and then it was 30. And it was we were going to take an episode per minute of what happened to you between that text and not showing up. But. Today, the real goal is Emily's show. It's as promised to Emily. We missed the Emily show uh, at her birthday and did an episode about Bradley instead. Yeah, that hurt. Not going (laughs) to lie. But we're we're making up for it now, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Emily's show today. We've got a lot of stuff that we thought about talking about. And really, it comes down to we don't think there's a better episode style for the Emily show than just a potpourri. 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 
So there's so many different topics that we can talk about that that's what it comes to. We just always end up with potpourri. And yeah, and how about you just give us an update on what you've been doing lately? Let's go there and any projects in the works right now. That That's probably a good start. Yeah, well, you know, there's always stuff in the works. I it I wasn't ready for this. You know, we're always asking Bradley what he's up to, but no one asks Emily what she's up to. But today's my lucky day. Yeah, you know, a big project we've talked about on this podcast before is our ambiguous loss project, ambiguous loss in farming. Uh, so still doing some work on that. Uh, we're going to start doing some trainings nationally for that, which is really exciting. Uh, so it can be offered in states all over the country. Also, we are already hard at work getting ready for youth tractor and farm safety training. That takes place in the summer, uh, but it's kind of like we get done with one cycle and we start working in on the next. So lots of that stuff going on. Um, just tons of projects about all sorts of things right now. People want to talk about emergency planning for you know extreme weather. People want to talk about communication on their farm. People want to talk about stress management. You know, that's always a, a topic people are interested in or they're worried about somebody in their life. So, you know, we're just always staying busy with all sorts of things. And that's, yeah, in, in both the, the mental health realm and the safety realm. We ask Bradley all the time, like, what's the newest, greatest technology? What's the newest, greatest thing that he has to play with up there? I don't know if there is something new and exciting in the realm of mental health and safety but but is there something that comes to mind right away that you're excited about the way bradley gets excited about sensors yeah you know i don't know that it's like this new and exciting like breakthrough theory or anything we're working with um but i have been doing some additional work with um aging on the farm so we know our farmers are getting older um, one in three farmers in the U.S. are over the age of 65, and a big concern with with the aging population in general, but especially farmers, is being able to age in place. So I want to be able to stay on my farm or in my farmhouse for as long as possible. And so what needs to be done to make that happen, right? Adaptations, do we need to put railings in? Um, you know, is it a change in what type of farm work they do? Um, all sorts of things. So that's uh, kind of a, a new realm I've been dabbling in that has me really excited um, because I think it's important and I think we all see the value in keeping farmers of any age where they want to be on their farms. So that's that's kind of a big new one on my radar, but it's not new by any means. Uh, but it's it's been new to me and that's been a really exciting thing. Well, I think that's that's probably one of the tough tougher subjects to talk about when you're mm -hmm. talking about either farm transitions or or whatever it, else it might be there. But that, that's always a tough one. You hear about that, that nobody really wants to ever talk about that. But I think it happens probably more than what we think about an older generation just wants to stay on the farm and live their life out there. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, lots of different things to think about. And I think something that Everybody is going to have to deal with or has already dealt with that at some point in their life, right? I mean, my dad is about to turn 70, so, and he is still living in our farmhouse on the farm, right? And and so this is a very real thing that I'm experiencing in real time, too, of how do we keep him here, you know? And of course, he's an amputee, so he has some 
additional physical needs, right? So how do we make that work? Sometimes it just happens over time and we just see these changes really slowly, but it is something that I think it's important for us to think about. And it is, you know, a health and a safety issue as well. So it's, yeah, something I'm really excited to be doing more work in. Well, I'm glad you're doing that because I think nobody really knows where to turn in those type of circumstances. And uh, I think you'll probably have some great things that you'll learn about it. And you'll have to come back and tell us all about that. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's very intriguing to me. Very intriguing to me. Yeah. And it and it's all sorts of things, you know, like I said, keeping people in the house, keeping them safe, protecting them from falls. But it's also things like when when do we take the tractor keys away or what does that conversation look like? Right. You know, I I have a colleague whose grandpa ripped up a hundred feet of fence because he didn't know he had the drag down like he had put the hitch down. And yeah. So, so also things like that. Yeah. These really hard questions that are going to be so different for every person in every situation, but I'm really interested in looking more into, you know, how can we have those conversations and in a helpful way, not a hurtful way, you know, a way that will keep everybody safe and healthy and meet the needs of, of everybody as well. So some of the exciting stuff I'm looking at jumping into. Continuing with our potpourri theme. We're going to completely change subjects and go somewhere completely different. Love it. So I talked about this with some vet students recently, talked about setting boundaries, Mm. all sorts of important things to learn in that situation, whether that in that context, it would be how to set boundaries with clients and with your employer and things like that. But in general, Emily is a great person to talk to about, okay, how do I set boundaries And then I've got some follow-ups after you uh, talk in general about boundaries. Okay. I just want to start by saying I love boundaries. I think they're great. I think with some people, they maybe carry a negative connotation or sometimes people, I think, misuse uh, the, the intention of what a boundary is in a negative way. But in its simplest terms, right, a boundary is simply a limit we put on something. And so when we talk about, you know, boundaries in our interpersonal relationships, we're really just talking about, you know, knowing for ourselves what we are and aren't comfortable with. You know, I would say that's kind of what it boils down to, you know, and boundaries, again, they're not meant to be a bad thing. They really serve as a mechanism for us to limit our exposure to experiences that we might find hurtful or unsafe or something else, right? Um, Like in Joe's example with the vet students, right? Maybe it's boundaries so that you don't get, yeah, overexposed to your clients and they're calling you at all hours of the night and always expecting you to answer, you know? You need to set limits with them of what your availability is to them. So that's a type of boundary, right? And, you know, boundaries are different. This is everything, right? We talk about with mental health and stress and whatever. It's different for every person, right? It's going to look different for every person. Um, And that's really influenced by a lot of different things. Um, But setting boundaries, really what it does is it defines our expectations of ourselves and others in different kinds of relationships, right? So that can just be 
certain things that we don't want to do or talk about, you know, certain topics we may avoid. Um, you know, I recently wrote an article about setting boundaries for the holidays, you know, when we think of all sorts of dramatic bad conversations that can go down related to politics and, and all of these other types of things too, right? And if that sounds like you or your family and that stresses you out, think of how you can set a boundary for that, right? What what would it look like if you hit your limit? And then what would help you come down from that limit and remove yourself from that, you know, kind of thinking of it that way. And it's really about, you know, when you set these boundaries, it's usually with another person. So you have to talk to them about it. And holy moly, I know that can be uncomfortable, especially if you haven't done it before. The first time I set a boundary with somebody, it probably didn't go very well, right? It was hard to do. But my the simple, simple three steps to think about with this. Be as clear and straightforward as possible, right? Like, hey, I know that you are really passionate about X topic. Hey, I know you really love your pet and trust me to provide them with veterinary care. And I really appreciate that. But it puts a lot of strain on me. It puts a lot of strain on my schedule, whatever that may be, right? And then it's just kind of state your need or your request directly. So, you know, the vet clinic example you can only contact me between the hours of eight and six, right? Or saying to a person like, hey, I, I get you like to talk about this stuff, but I'm just not interested in being involved in that conversation. You know, we can talk about other things when we're together. And then accepting that discomfort that might arise, right? Person might try to make you feel guilty. They might try to fight with you or, you know, most likely they'll just be like, what are you talking about? I don't do that or kind of getting combative that way. But just, you know, remind yourself why you're having that conversation. It's really about being clear with what you're comfortable with, what you want to do. And hopefully you've seen, right, like you can use it in a lot of different contexts. So professional work type contexts, you know, and then personal, you know, interpersonal relationship contexts, lots of different things you can do with boundaries. And that was a really, really long intro to it, Joe, because I'm sure you have follow-up questions. I do. And and one of the biggest follow-up questions I have is, well, for me, I think the easiest way to handle boundaries is to set the precedent that you want right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always happen. So let's say you haven't set the boundary where you want and you've allowed there to be little or none for quite a while. And now I want I need to reset that boundary. We've been using the, the client example with vets, right? Like if I've allowed clients to call me at all hours of the night, regardless of if I'm on call or not, that has now set the precedent that that's okay. But mm -hmm. now I'm burnt out. I'm a little more self-aware. And I say, well, actually, I don't want it to be that way. How do I go about that? Because I think a lot of people feel like it's too late. I've already set one boundary or don't have one. How do I get a handle on it now? Yeah, well, I would say it's never too late right? Like if something makes you uncomfortable or unhappy or is impacting your your well-being, it's never too late, right? You are not obligated to stay in a situation that makes you feel like that, even if it has been years and even if you have in your own mind let it happen to yourself. You are not required to keep yourself in that situation. I, I want to be very clear on that. And again, 
it's going to be hard to have the conversation. Like, I can't sugarcoat that. I can't lie about that. Like, it can be uncomfortable to set boundaries with people, especially if you haven't or especially if that boundary has just kind of gone to pieces, right? And you need to reestablish it. So again, I would just point people back to kind of those steps when setting boundaries. Be as clear as possible. State your need. You know, request what it is you want from them. And, and accept that it's going to be uncomfortable. And so in, again, back to, to the veterinary situation, right? And, and it might be a thing that you have to say a few times to somebody, but it can just be like, hey, you know what? I, I know I've allowed calls at all hours before, but that is just something I am not able to do anymore. I will not be answering calls if they're outside the hours of eight to six or, you know, whatever they are. And even if that's a thing, if it is a calling thing, right, leaving that on your voicemail, like you reach Dr. Joe, I I will, you know, I answer client calls between eight and six. And if it, this is outside the, these, those hours, I will call you back tomorrow. Just making that boundary really clear and and not breaking your boundary for anybody. Because if one person can break through your boundary, everybody's going to eventually. So you have to also... Be firm with it. There's a lot of issues that come from unclear expectations right. in whatever relationship it is. So uh, the more clear you can be, which I know is really tough for Minnesotans to just be blunt yes. and honest rather than throwing four or five or six passive aggressive statements out before finally just saying, here's how it is. But it is very helpful if you just... Do that right out of the gate. Yeah. In in its purest form, a boundary is a form of communication, right? That's all we're talking about here is just having a conversation with somebody. And trusting the other person to, to get it, right? Yes. I got a question. Mm-hmm. So you'd mentioned about you're doing some tractor safety stuff and coming up with that, or at least youth safety. So what is you know, it sort of sparks my interest about teaching youth about tractor safety. So how, how does that go? You know, are we like letting them sit in a bunch of tractors and drive them around? Or what are, what are you actually teaching them? You know, I'm curious about that. Because me, you know, me, it's like, oh, just give them the keys and off they go. And, you know, yeah, hopefully they get it right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm curious. Some people were trained by old tractors. You know, I was trained on a WD-45 and that was probably, you know, Sometimes those old ones can be the worst ones to be trained on. but Right. And that's something we run into. So the actual youth tractor and farm safety training that we do at U of M Extension is a hybrid course. So they will take an online course with the National Safe Tractor and Machinery, Machinery Operation Program, which is a curriculum from Penn State Extension. Um, so we put that entire curriculum online. So the students take an online course with various modules. And that's where they first start to learn about tractors. So, you know, they learn which pedals will be on which side. They learn which levers are located where. You know, a lot of tractors have color coding that are the same throughout. So they start to learn some of that basic stuff, kind of what they'll see inside the cab. They learn about, you know, the importance of maintenance. They learn, you know, about why you check oil, tire pressure, electrical, etc. Um, And then when they complete the online course, which is about 10 hours of learning in total, um, they attend a two-day in-person training that's all hands-on. So they get some education on 
various farm safety topics besides tractor safety. So we do grain bin safety. We do agricultural chemical safety. Uh, we talk about how distractions can make us do unsafe things. We talk about um, identifying hazards on the farm and what you can do to mitigate risk when you do see a hazard. So all sorts of things. But of course, the big piece is they do get practice driving in a tractor. Now, I will say we're very lucky. Um, we work with local implements across the state that allow us to use their equipment, which is awesome. But it's also all brand new equipment. Um, and some of these kids are certainly going back to farms where they are using older equipment. So that is something we're actually talking about for this year on how we can get kids experience on both newer and older equipment. Because um, there is definitely a difference when you're operating them, you know, if they have all the bells and whistles or not. But yeah, so in those two days, they get to practice driving the tractor um, with an instructor in the cab with them to ensure safety. Um, and so, yeah, then they just learn what it is they need to do when, you know, their pre-trip inspection. So they learn in the online class about checking oil, and now they learn how to physically do it. Where on the tractor do you check the oil? How do you open the hood, right? Where where do you do these different things? What are you looking for when you check the tires? Um, and so they learn how to do all of that, you know, right there with several instructors, with a tractor, um, with an implement as well. They learn how to properly hook up a PTO um, and how to properly put on a PTO guard as well. So it's kind of a mix of of book learning and then doing a lot of hands-on learning with the equipment. But you do make an excellent point, Brad, that a lot of what we use is newer and then these kids are dropped on a farm with old stuff. So that is something that we are thinking about. That's good. Well, it sounds uh, pretty extensive and always good to see that. Hopefully lots of youth do that program because it sounds like it's a good one. And Yes. So if any youth or parents are listening and they're interested, we should be um, announcing dates and registration for summer 2024 um, sometime in the early spring. So kind of March, April. Keep an eye out. I'm glad to hear that it's not just tractor safety because there's so much that goes along with that, oh, yeah. with what you're using with the tractor, definitely PTO stuff, and then four-wheelers and all those kind of things that go into it as well. Is there a specific training for that kind of thing? Not tractors, but just like four-wheelers and other kind of vehicles like that? Yeah, so there are some safety trainings uh, for ATV specifically. Minnesota 4-H does some through their Outdoor Adventures program, and the Minnesota DNR does also offer some safety certification for ATVs. Um, one thing that, as far as I know, does not have an official like certification on its own, but something we're actually looking to add to tractor safety is skid steers because they are very, very, very different from tractors in every way imaginable. Um, and that's something actually a lot of the kids ask for because they say, my mom and dad want me to to drive skid steer, you know, clean out the barn or whatever. Um, so we're hoping to expand our, our training and get the kids some hands-on experience with that as well. That's a great idea because if I'm on a farm and there is someone that is 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, maybe even younger, if they're operating a piece of equipment, odds are it's a skid steer, um, especially now that you don't have to reach the pedals uh, with some of the newer models and it's all joystick. So 
Yeah, that would be really, really good. <laughs> totally all about that. I've seen some very young kids working in skid steers and it makes me nervous. Yes. That would be a good training for adults because I get in skid loaders and go, I don't even know how to make this work. And then you get <laughs> I in know, and it's same. I'm like, I'm not sure jumping all right over now. the place <laughs> and it's just a mess. So I, I tend to stay out of those things myself because they're, I just, they're just so in my mind, they, they're one of the most unsafe equipment on a farm. Yes. But also one of the most useful. But, so but really one of the most used, that's right. Yeah. It is very versatile, but it is. Yeah. The, the yeah. big thing is the center of gravity on skid steers is so different than a tractor or anything like riding lawnmower, like all of that are going to have like the similar idea of center of gravity, same general area, skid steers, all that's out the window. It's so different. And, you know, I agree. I, I see a little too much uh, baptism by fire with some of that stuff. The the youngest I have seen, and it was a video somebody took for social media, they had a six-year-old in the skid steer with uncle standing in front of them, walking backwards as they drove it towards them. Please don't do that. I, please don't do that. Um... It's just so unsafe. I just, I don't know what to say. I I grew up on the farm and I am so understanding of wanting to give your kids that farm experience and to, to live in love what you live in love. I so, so get that. But I don't think that it has to mean putting them in danger or putting them in a situation to be labor for you that they're not ready for. Um, you know, it's, it can be fun. It can be cute and the pictures and the videos and, and all of that. And I am just all up on my soapbox right now, but, you know, I think we really need to be mindful of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if it's about putting a six-year-old in a skid steer to get a video to put online, I just don't know that that's a good enough reason. What are we missing, Emily? What, what do you want to talk about that we haven't covered? I don't know. I feel like we really hit on the big things. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's a good potpourri. I think so. Okay. Emily's doing a lot yeah. and doing good work. Yes. Oh, as always. You. As oh, always. I appreciate that. Okay. With that, let's wrap it up, Miss Emily. All right. If you have questions, comments, or skating rebuttals about today's episode, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 612-624-3610. Find us on Twitter at UMN Moosroom and at UMN Farm Safety. And as always, you can find Bradley on Instagram at UMNWCROCDairy. Find us on the web at extension.umn.edu. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.